Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Well, we are continuing and concluding our series called Church, A Place to Be. And I trust that you've been blessed by this series. I trust that you've got something out of this series. And I trust that it's been helpful for you understanding what God is asking for us and from us as a church. And so far, we've looked at church, a place to be, number one, to belong. Everyone say belong. In other words, this has to be and it must remain a place where everyone is welcome. No matter where they're from, no matter what they're struggling with, this has to remain a place where everyone is welcome. And if you are here for the first time, either online or in the room, you are absolutely welcome. Can we just put our hands together? Thanks for coming. I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy your time here this morning. So number one was belong. Number two was believe. And we looked at the fact that Christianity is belief in someone, not something. And that someone has a name, and his name is Jesus. We looked at that in week two. And week three, we looked at church as the place to behave. Turn to the person next to me and say, behave. And behaving is more about a role that we play than the rules that we keep. And the feedback I got on that one, I got more feedback on that one than any other week. So if you're struggling to know what behaving as a believer means and looks like, I would encourage you to have a fresh listen to week number three, Church, A Place to Behave. And today we're going to conclude our series looking at Church, A Place to Build. Everyone say, build. Build. You see, Jesus' sole vision was to build the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says it this way, And I tell you that you are Peter. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, in particular one disciple named Peter. He says, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not, everyone say will not, will not overcome it. Jesus said a few things. He said, I will build my church. In other words, for Jesus, the church is personal. It's personal. Have you got a loved one in your family and if you hear someone say something bad about that person, it's personal. You you can't be a parent of a child and someone say, gee, your kid's ugly, without it being personal. You might say, oh, oh, Christians, we should just forgive. Yeah, but it still hurts. We still take it personal. Why? Because we're invested in certain people's lives. And you can't sit back as a believer and point a finger at the church and say, the church is stupid, the church is ugly, the church is pathetic. I give up on the church without Jesus taking it personally. The church is personal to Jesus. If you touch the church, you touch Jesus. Remember this man by the name of Saul, who was later known as Paul, was going to Damascus. And he was there to destroy the church in Damascus as he had an outbreaking of persecution in Jerusalem. And it was Jesus who appeared before him and he fell off his horse. And Jesus said this, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In actual fact, Paul could have rightly said, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting the church. But Jesus doesn't separate himself from the church. Because Paul was persecuting the church, Jesus said, why are you having a go at me? Whenever we have a go at the church, we're having a go at Jesus. Do we have any Jesus lovers out there? Then we've got to love the church. Are you with me? 
Because Jesus said, I will build my church. It is personal. It's the only thing that Jesus is building the earth today. And it's the only thing he's coming back for in the future. He said, I will have my way. In other words, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that thought. I will build my church. I will have my way. And thirdly, I will use my people. Jesus wants to use people who've had a revelation of who he is. It was Peter who said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so Jesus looks at Peter and speaks to him about building his church. Why? Because he had a revelation of who Jesus is. If we don't first have a revelation of who Jesus is, we'll never build the church. Why? Because the church will let you down. The church will hurt you. The church will use you. The church will make you feel mad, sad, and glad. And so if you want to build the church, you better have a a revelation and an ongoing fresh revelation of who Jesus is because Jesus uses people who've had a revelation of who he is to build the church. Secondly, he has a revelation of people who've had a revelation about who they are. Peter not only had a revelation about who Jesus is, but then Jesus gave Peter a revelation about who he is. Prior to being called Peter, he was called Simon. And Simon meant wind blown like a reed. But Peter means strong and solid. And so he had a revelation of who he was. Jesus wants to use people who have had a revelation of who he is. He wants to use you based upon a revelation of who you are. And people have had a revelation of what they've been called to do. Peter got a revelation about what he'd been called to do. He found his purpose in that moment. He had a revelation about Jesus. He had a revelation about himself. And he had a revelation about what he'd been called to do. And that's the type of people... Jesus wants to use to build his church. People have a revelation about him, about themselves, and about what they've been called to do. We want to see you connected to your purpose in life. Are you with me today? Sound good? Mark Sayers, in his book, Reappearing Church, which he wrote in 2019, said this, that crisis precedes renewal. I'll say that again. Crisis precedes renewal. Written in 2019, before we knew anything about COVID. And he said, crisis precedes renewal. Would it be fair to say that COVID has been a little bit of a crisis? So if you want to know what's going on in the world today, God is working behind the scenes. And right now we may be focused on the crisis, but God is focused on a fresh move of his spirit and he wants to bring renewal. God is anything but done with the church. I believe God is into rebuilding. He's into restoring. And he's into renewing. And I know the church has taken a hit. And I know leaders need to do better in the church. I'm a leader in the church and and we need to do better. But as followers, we also need to do better. And I want to say, if you're struggling with recent news, if you're struggling with two years of pandemic, and if you're questioning the church in general, I want you to say it's not a time to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because God is in the business of rebuilding, restoring, and renewing. In actual fact, I believe that we are entering a season as Christians that requires conviction over convenience. Have you ever stopped to think that some of the things that have taken place is that God is actually making us aware just how convenient we have made our faith. And God is using this last two years to stir us and bring us back to a place of conviction and not just convenience. Amen. 
Let's not just point a finger at leaders. Let's think about where we're at in our faith. Did we grow just a little bit comfortable? Did we grow just a little bit convenient when it came to our faith? And God is stirring us afresh. I believe it's a season of presence over programs. I, I believe it's discipleship over demands. And I believe we are entering a time of encounter over events. I thank God for events. I thank God that the church is able to gather in rooms like this. But we want the presence of God. We want the encounters of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen this morning? Maybe watching online, you can write amen if you're believing for that this morning. And so in order to build the church, and that's what we're talking about specifically this morning, we have to know what the church is, and equally as important, what the church is not. You know, more recently, I had the pleasure and privilege of going down to Dan and Ashari's new home. They are building a new home right now. It's not finished, but it's in the building phase. And I went down there and I stood on the slab of concrete and the frames had just been put up. And if you know Dan and Ashari, they're very excitable people. But when they're building a home, their excitement goes to a whole nother level. And that's true of Dan, but with Ashari, it's off the Richter scale. I mean, she's just so excited. And if you want to know all about it, just, just have her hashtag house on Sheedy and you can see all the photos and everything else. But I was in this particular room and she said, this is the lounge room. This is the lounge room. This is where we're going to be watching television and eating. And I said, it doesn't look like a lounge room. How do you know it's a lounge room? It doesn't look much different than any other room in the house right now. And this is what she proceeded to do. She proceeded to get the plans of the house. And she showed me the plans of the house to bring context which was being built. See, what was being built wasn't finished yet. And this church is not finished yet. Your life is not finished yet. And because it's not finished yet, it doesn't always look like we want it to look. It doesn't always sound like we want it to sound. It doesn't always act like we want it to act. And so we've got to keep going back to the plan. And God's plan is always His Word. And just as Dan and Ashari took me back to the plan of the house in order to make sense of what I was standing in, I felt God speak to me that in order for us to know what the church is, in order for us to know what God is building, we have to keep going back to the plan. It doesn't say throw the baby out with the bathwater. The answer is never give up on the church. The answer is always let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to the plans and the purposes of what God ordained the church in the first place. So we're going to do that this morning. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. If not, please feel free to follow on screen. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 to 30 says this, But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also a messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. This is Paul, the great apostle, writing these words about a young man who came to help him. He said, For he longs for you all and is in distress because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, Paul says, he was ill, and he almost died. But God, there it is, there's our theme for the year. But God had mercy on him, and he not, not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. 
Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad and you may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him. Why? Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. I love this passage of Scripture for many reasons. Epaphroditus, for those of you who are carrying child right now and are looking for great names for your child, there's one. Epaphroditus. I think it could be male or female. Just saying. Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was a young man who went to help Paul. It's interesting that he was young. That's when most of us gave our lives to Jesus, when we were young. When we, when we weren't tainted by the world. When we weren't tainted by church and all of the things that could possibly go wrong. He was a young man who said, I'll help. I, I imagine it was a meeting like this and, 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 and the pastor said, hey, there, there's one of our missionaries, the great apostle Paul. He needs someone to go and help him. And this young guy goes, oh, pick me. All the older ones looked at him like, you're crazy. And it was this young man that went to Paul's aid to help him. And he got so sick trying to help Paul that he almost died. And Paul's response was, I've got to send this young man home. One, so that he can get better. But two, so that you can see that he's actually okay. And so out of a love for the church, Paul sends this young man back. And this is what he says. He says, when he comes to you, I want you to honour him. Don't make him feel like a failure. Don't look down on him. But honour men like him. Don't rebuke him. And then he said these words about this young man. He said, he's my brother. He's my co-worker. And he's my fellow soldier. And I think that's interesting language that Paul used of this young man. And remember, every word in the Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So when the Scripture uses words like that, I have to stop and have a sealer moment and say, why has the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to use these three phrases about a young man? And I think if we would stop and sit in it, which is exactly what we want to do this morning, if we stop and sit in it long enough, we may just find out something of the character and the nature of what God is trying to build when he's building his church. And so I want to look at these three things today and hopefully we'll have a greater understanding and appreciation for what God is building through his people in order to build the church. Are you with me? The first one is this. Paul calls him a brother. Why? Because the church is a family. Paul calls this young man a brother. Why? Because the church is a family. Why don't you just look at the person next to you and depending on their gender, why don't you just say, hi brother, hi sister. Will you do that just very quickly? <laughs> See, when we receive Christ into our heart, our sins are forgiven and not only that, we become a member Ever say member of the family of God. And the family of God has a name and that name is the church. The family of God has a name. And that family goes by the name the church. 
And so if you're a Christian, you're part of the church. And there are two expressions in the Word of God about the church. And the first one is it's the universal church. And the universal church is made up of every Christian. When Jesus said, I'll build my church, he was talking about the universal church. Every Christian from all time and all nations. That's the universal church. But then there's another use of the word church in the New Testament. And it speaks of the local church, where it talks about a community of people. One is the universal church, which embraces every believer for all time and eternity right across the planet of the earth. The other is a local community. And they both go by the name church. One is universal, the other is local. And it's where you know people. And it's where you are known by people. Why? Because we meet together. If we don't meet together, you'll never get known and you'll never be known. But when you get known, it becomes scary. Because people get to know you with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I believe it's God's intention that we would live in community. And he places us into a community that we might live together and experience koinonia, which is fellowship with one to another through the Holy Spirit. It's a fellowship you can't get anywhere else. You can have friendships in other places, but you can't get what the Bible calls koinonia. And I believe this is God's intent. In actual fact, if I was to ask you, if you had a choice to FaceTime a family member or spend time with a family member, what would your choice be? I know for the last two years, our son has been living in New Zealand and I'm so proud of him. He's doing a phenomenal job. He's got himself a job in New Zealand at life. Um, He's got a girlfriend and she's got a job at life. Things are going well for him. I'm really proud of him. And I get to speak to him via technology and FaceTime at least once a week, if not more. And I'm grateful for technology. Man, it would be a long stint if we didn't have technology. I'm glad that we are born in this generation and not in previous generations because that two years would have felt a lot harder and a lot longer. Not only that, we weren't able to travel. So thank God for technology. Thank God for all of those watching online. We have an online community and that is here to stay. And I'm grateful for technology that it connects us to people who are unable to be here. I know there are many people isolating today. They either have COVID or they're a close contact or they're sick for other reasons or they're injured or they're just unable to travel. And so I thank God for technology. That is here to stay. But if you were to ask me, if I had the choice of seeing Mitch in the flesh, where I could kiss him and hug him and cuddle him and, and look him in the eye and tell him how much I love him and have some deep and meaningful conversation and go kick the soccer ball. If you were to ask me which I would prefer, I promise you, as good as technology is, I would choose to be in the room with him. Every time, 100%, all day, every day, I would choose to be with him. If you were to ask me if I was able to spend time with my wife, or FaceTime with my wife. Every time I'm going to choose to be with my wife, I didn't get married to be apart from my wife. I got married to be with her. 
When Jesus was picking the 12 disciples, it says that he chose 12 that he might be with. The purpose of Jesus picking a group of people wasn't to train them, wasn't to equip them, although that was part of the journey. But first and foremost, it was that he might be with them. So let's not allow technology to get in the way of what God intended and what we desired. Some of you may say, well, actually, as time's got on, I've got to be honest with you, uh, I'm grateful for technology because I would rather be FaceTime than actually be in the room with some of my loved ones. And if that is you, I would say, well done for your honesty. But it would highlight to me, and mostly important to you today, that something shifted. If you would rather experience a relationship with someone that you used to enjoy fellowship with, and now you'd rather have it online, there's something in your heart that shifted. If you would rather not be with your wife than be with your wife, something shifted because it didn't start like that. I've been to many, many weddings and there was never a reluctance for that wife to meet with that groom. They were always happy to hold hands. They were always happy to say the vows. They were always happy to kiss. They were always happy to spend the honeymoon night together. And so if something shifted, that's okay. That's why we have church, to help us come back. We're not here to bring condemnation. We're not here to point an accusing finger. We're here to simply say, if something shifted, let's come back to what God intended. And God intended every believer to be part of a local community called the church. Yes, you're part of the church, but He wants you part of a local church where you can be known and yet you can get to know people. Yes, it's scary. Yes, there's room for hurt, but there's also room for joy. There's also room for hope. There's also room for healing. And there's also room for love. Are you with me? In Matthew chapter 18, it talks about if a brother sins against you, bring it to the church. You know, that can only apply in the context of a local church. You can't bring it to the universal church. In actual fact, if you get rid of the local church, you get rid of much of the New Testament. Much of the New Testament is advice how to live together in a local community. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Rebuke, encourage, and correct one another. See, the answer to all of this in a crazy COVID world that we've been living in and experiencing for the last couple of years is to not run, to not give up, to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to stay. Yeah. I want to encourage a church to stay, to stick around, because our best days are ahead of us. Don't let this crisis rob you of the opportunity of what God wants to do, and that is bring renewal, yeah. to bring a rebuilding season in our lives. Are you with me today? Yeah. Secondly, Paul calls Epaphroditus not only a brother, but also a co-worker. Say co-worker. A co-worker. Why? Because the church is an organization. It's not just a family. It's also an organization. The church is an organization, and there's also a corporate side. See, every family needs organizing. Every family needs money earned. Every family has bills to pay. Every family has dishes 
to wash. Is this just too deep for some of you? I mean, see, we have this notion of the church, which family, we should just love each other. That doesn't work in any family. You love each other. If mum doesn't cook the meal or dad doesn't step up and cook the meal, guess what? It gets pretty nasty pretty quick because there's meals to be prepared. There's dishes to be washed. There's mouths to be fed. There's school drop-offs to be done. There's bins to put out. I'm saying it a bit louder because I just want to remind someone in my family, there's bins <laughs> to put out. We're still a family, but a family needs organising because of all those things I've just mentioned. And to say that we should be a family where we just love each other and shouldn't have to worry about all those things, no family works like that. No family intended to work like that. Every family, in order for it to be healthy and operate smoothly, needs organising. It needs organising. And that's where parents come in. And that's where discipline comes in. Because if kids don't learn to do jobs around the home, it puts extra pressure on parents. And when there's extra pressure on parents, it puts extra pressure on their relationship. And cracks begin to appear. And pressures begin to rise. While we're protecting our children and working harder instead of giving them jobs to do. And so from a very early age, our kids had jobs to do because I didn't want my wife and girlfriend to be worn out when we've got three little mouths to feed and they can now look after themselves and help in an area. Why? Because families need organising. Are you with me? And families are organisations that need managing. And every family needs managing. If that is true for the family, so it is for the church. Why? Because in a church, bills need to be paid. I wish I could pray for everything, but bills need to be paid. Music needs to be played. I don't know if you're aware of this, that didn't just happen this morning. People got out of bed. And those people that are on stage got out of bed earlier than most of us sitting here today. Why? Because music needs to be played and building needs to be cleaned and coffee needs to be served. People need to be visited. People need to be prayed for. And so church is a family, but it's also an organisation. And so in this family, we need members but we also need workers. For the church to work well, it needs members and workers. The church needs workers, not shirkers. It needs people who've got their hand up and willing to serve and not just take. It needs contributors, not just consumers. It needs people who sing to songs they don't even like because worship is not about you and the songs you like. It's about honouring God and honouring those who got here early. And so we're going to sing regardless of what the song choice is because we understand something about the family and organisation dynamic. Are you with me this morning? And so the answer as a family is to stay. The answer as an organisation is to serve. 
How do we build the church? Through staying and serving. Why? Because it's a family and it's an organization. Is this helpful? See, it's easy to point a finger at leaders, leaders particularly when they fail and fall, but I I think we can all do better. I think we'd all have a better understanding of what church is. And, and, And if we're honest, where we haven't been playing our part. And the third one is this. Paul says, he calls him, this young man, Epaphroditus, a soldier. Why? Because the church is not just a family. It's not just an organization. It's also an army. The church has a cause to fill. Jesus said it this way, go into all the world and make disciples. In other words, on the heart of Jesus, and and this is what I believe God is wanting to bring us back to as part of his renewal, is that we would embrace a reach, that we would embrace evangelism like never before, and we'd embrace discipleship. I feel like these are the things, as I speak to pastors in our city and around the world, we're coming back to what matters most. And that church is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. We're putting up front and centre again. Why? Because in the business of life, things get lost. But we're coming back to what matters most. And that is evangelism and discipleship. And I hope that encourages you. And I hope you'll embrace with us the desire that God has to bring a renewal and restoration of all things, the church, and that we would see not only people saved, but we'd see people go to a place of maturity. See, we have a cause here at this church, and it's to impact and to change our generation with the reality and the love of Jesus. Now, that's easier said than done. That's easier to put on a wall than to get into our hearts and to give to our friends and to give to our family members. Why? Because we have an enemy. The enemy wants this to stop. Epaphroditus wanted to go and do all these things and help Paul and yet he almost died. Why? Because there's an enemy and he wants to stop you. And I really do feel prophetically and I feel strong about this that much of our arguments, much of our conversations in recent times about the church has been nothing less than a strategy of the enemy to distract us from what matters most. And I think it'd be right and fitting for us as the church right across this city. I can't speak to, or, and I'm not responsible for all those other churches, but I certainly am responsible for this one. And I, I think for this to happen, It's got to start with a humbling of our hearts. Instead of pointing fingers at people, we've got to ask ourselves, how am I doing with this? How strong is my evangelism game? How strong is my discipleship game? And again, no condemnation. We don't ask these questions to beat ourselves up. We ask ourselves these questions to bring alignment with the plans and the purposes of God. And if we find ourselves falling short, of what God intended. Let's just make the shift. Are you with me? Most of us will probably not experience what Epaphroditus experienced. However, I do believe it should encourage us to embrace a little bit of discomfort moving forward. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says this, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. 
For I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that He's able to keep me and to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. Nothing could sway the great apostle Paul. Paul was that apostle who wrote much of the New Testament. And he said this, I know, I believe, I'm persuaded, I'm committed. I know, I believe, I'm persuaded, I'm committed. Where are we at in this journey? I know the church is not perfect because I'm here. I know the church is not perfect because you are here. But I do believe it's God's answer to humanity. The hope of humanity is found in rooms just like this one. Right across this beautiful city of Adelaide, people are gathered as local churches. And it's an opportunity for the local church to arise and shine and bring hope to a hurting humanity. It's not a time to point fingers. It's not a time to give up. It's not a time to give in. It's a time to build the only thing that Jesus is building in the earth today, and that is His church. Thank God that we're part of the universal church. But He wants strong, healthy, local churches where people can be fully known and fully loved, where people can be known and get to know. Ephesians, sorry, chapter 6, in closing, says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in heavenly realms. What's it going to take to build the church? Well, because it's a family, we've got to stay. Because it's an organization, we've got to serve. And because we're part of an army, an army we've got to stand strong. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life, and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.